we uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's, he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. Alrighty, hello everybody and welcome back to the 47th episode of the third sub podcast and I hope you slept well if you're you know if you're fans of the Vancouver Whitecaps and if for some reason you're fans of LAFC and you happen to be here well I guess welcome and uh hope you're probably feeling a little better than maybe the the city of Vancouver here it's uh it's been great it's been rainy it was uh not exactly a banner day in terms of weather on Wednesday and then to cap it off it wasn't a banner day if you're the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, against LAFC they get absolutely battered and we're here the night of a rare after game recording the last time we did this was uh when the Whitecaps beat Chicago Fire at MLS's back but uh coincidentally that game was at 6 a.m so it was a little easier but I mean after a game like this I feel like it's one where you just got to get get it off your chest early and then we'll, we'll kind of see for the Portland game in terms of preview but i i'm your co-host alexander gonge ruzik and i'm here with samuel rowan who's uh we're supposed somehow still alive after that one sam how you feeling pulse check yeah i'm still still here still breathing i mean that was obviously a tough one but uh it's the way it goes sometimes and it's interesting you bring up the weather because there was a storm brewing all day here up in whistler bc and it it felt like there was a storm brewing in la as well because LAFC really, really came to play, and you know the Whitecaps not so much. So uh, a jarring result, certainly. Uh, I have to admit, after you know 15, 20 minutes in, it's like it all starts to fade into one. You're just kind of sitting there looking at the screen, a little bit glazed over. It's tough to tough to focus on things, but uh, definitely some talking points we want to get into. Uh, it was just something about it 15, 20 minutes. And it was like, yeah, we have to do a pod right afterwards. After hearing the coach's comments, we heard from Andy Rose a little bit too, but, a but a short media availability, uh, we had to wait 15, 20 minutes for Mark Dos Santos. I think there were some words obviously said in the room. I, I don't think it was a happy locker room that kind of goes without saying, but it seemed particularly prickly on behalf of, uh, both the players and coaching. So yeah, uh, Without further ado, let's kind of get into some of the talking points of the match. And yeah, not really, we don't have a plan for this one for the listener. We're just kind of kind of going off the hip and talking about what stood out to us and I guess what this means in the overall scheme of things. Because it's easy to sit here and say, okay, well, it's a it's a six nil loss. That's horrific. But you know, is this time after after a pretty good run of form from the Whitecaps as of late? Should we be pushing the panic button and saying, you know, sell the team, fire the coach, fire the sporting director? You know, are we going that far or are we looking at the positive saying this is a one-off? Hey, you can only lose, you know, you can only drop three points at a time. You can't drop nine points as Mark Dos Santos said. So is it glass half full? Is it glass half empty? I don't know, but I'm, I'm here to try to figure it out, I think. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think what I'll go for is I think we should get all the anger, the frustration, the honesty out at the beginning. Because let's, yeah. let's, let's not let's not mince words. That was terrible. That it was, was dreadful. Was, yeah. Every every superlative that you can think of that was negative that probably described the game, and it was just 
not good football from the Vancouver Whitecaps. So I think we shouldn't shy away from that. But I think ultimately maybe to round off the show, uh, we could put some good old Vancouver positivity on it. I mean, alas, they only dropped three points. So it doesn't matter if you lose 2-1 in the 90th minute or 6-0. I mean, I think ultimately, as we're going to mention in our closing remarks, I think it's all about how they build off of this, much like they built off their other victories. So it's, it's all about consistency for Vancouver. And for whatever reason, they're about as inconsistent as they come. They win two in a row or win a game, and then they lose a game, and then they win one. And it's just inconsistent. And luckily for them in MLS, I mean, they're right in the thick of the playoff race. And if they start putting some wins together, they'll be, they'll be in a great position. But at the same time, they'll probably be best to avoid stinkers like this. But I don't think you need to take Albert Einstein to tell you that. But, boy, don't you wish Albert Einstein was there at the back to, to put out the, you know, organize the defense or at least explain some basic physics because – where do we even start with the white caps? Well, like, uh, I, I know, I know exactly where I want to start actually. And that is a sincere apology on behalf of the Vancouver white caps, even though I don't have the merit to give that apology, but I'm going to do it anyways. Brian Meredith, we are sorry because a minute into the match, I mean, before the first He's goal, pulling was, the ball out of his net. Right before, so I, so I put out a tweet with a gif of, like it was a, a gym from the office facial expression. And I was typing Brian Meredith reacting to this Vancouver Whitecaps defense as they got scored on the first time. And I mean, that was how bad it looked even on that opening chance for LAFC. You just knew trouble was incoming and it didn't let up for the first 15 minutes. And yeah, it, you know, it dropped off a little bit after that, but Brian Meredith was a, was a busy guy. I mean, seven total saves five from inside the box. And this is also allowing six goals. So additional shots on target there. And, you know, he did an all right job, like 20 for 26 and his passing and, you know, had, had one clearance as well. And really, I think there were, there were a couple goals where maybe if it's Max Carrepo or Thomas Assal that they get a finger to it and make a save, but it wasn't like any of the six goals were, out and out Brian Meredith's fault. And for a guy who's been through so much this year, a guy who's waited so long to get back in the starting lineup and, you know, get his white caps appearance under his belt to have it happen this way. Uh, my heart really goes out to the guy and yeah, just on behalf of the white caps, which I'm sure they're saying in the locker room as well. Like just sorry, Brian. Well, poor guy. I mean, that's just that's his first start since 2012 in MLS, and which just, is also just insane. Like that you are an MLS journeyman and you wait that long. But I like I, mean, I know yeah, some probably, guys are constant bench warmers, but to wait that long and not have a feel for the game, it's yeah. And I, I don't how do you how do you recover from something like this when you you play so infrequently? Yeah, and it's 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 tough for him because obviously maybe in the past he could have gone on loan to the USL or something and. You just feel bad for a guy that, as much as I'm sure he's not, well, I'm sure he is a great guy. Sounds like a great guy in the locker room kind of deal. And great to have around the team. But for his professional sake, you would have, he just needs minutes, right? I, I don't know at what his age, 27, 28, 30, you just feel bad that this is all he's gotten in his career. I think we we're talking before the game. I think Thomas Hassall already is like five or six games away from passing passing his career games mark and it's you know there's a good eight nine ten years of difference there so it kind of shows you how 
Unfortunate. Mer- Meredith, Meredith is, is 31, by the way. Yeah, there you go. 31. And it's just, it's unfortunate for him because again, yeah, great guy. And maybe you look at some of the goals, no doubt he could have done better. But I think when you look at how just shambolic it was at the back, I don't think you could look at him and be like, this is on him. And I don't, it's just unfair. Like, especially what I was thinking maybe is knowing that Meredith hasn't played in a while, that the Whitecaps were going to kind of do what they did with Thomas Hassall at MLS's back and compensate and defend and tighten up. And they were just lackadaisical on closing down. They didn't mark in the box. The corn, they let in like the first three goals or the first two were both off corners and the third one, it was just everything that they did right the last, two games defensively that we praised for they're just like okay apparently we're they're like we're a good MLS defense now let's stop doing it and then they showed that especially against a team like LAFC and I don't think those those are the guys you want to switch off against maybe you could get away with switching off against I don't know maybe a team that's not very proficient in scoring let's say a team like Nashville like Nashville is a great defensive team I think they're somehow by metrics one of the top five teams in MLS defensively but offensively they don't exactly pose the same punch. This is just an example. Whereas LAFC, top three MLS offense, without Carlos Vela for most of the year, that, that is one of the top three MLS offenses, they can make you pay. And like it, it, it was obvious on, on uh, today. I mean, in the preview, it was kind of a warning shot. Okay, the Whitecaps against this LAFC defense, they can get chances. And to be fair, they got chances. And there's no better chance than Lucas Cavallini at 1-0, to be honest, a finisher of his caliber you'd expect him to put that away and keep the caps alive but when you're conceding four five six goals you're not gonna win many games and you're not gonna do your offense many favors you're not doing your goalkeeper any favors well so it's a it's a good point you bring up about the the defending and the complete switch from the last couple times out and uh, there was a question that um, our our friend and intrepid reporter jj adams asked to Mark DeSantos in the post-match that he kind of shooed away, but I think it was a really good question. And that was, after a couple of solid performances, especially defensively, did this Whitecaps team come in on a bit of a high, a bit of you know, self-confidence, and maybe not quite get themselves to the level of intensity they needed to be at in this match? And so the question I kind of posed to you, Alex, is, I guess specifically when it comes to the defense, because that was the starkest of transitions. I mean, if you go back two matches to Montreal, you looked at how tremendous the fullbacks were. And then tonight they were horrific by comparison. So do you put that down to a mentality shift to LAFC being just that much better? I mean, how, you know, I know you asked you asked both Andy Rose and Mark DeSantos this, but I'm curious if if you have even an an inkling of an answer in terms of you know what goes on for such a dramatic shift to happen over the course of just a couple matches. I think you do wonder complacency, uh, definitely, especially with the young guys. Sometimes you you win a few results and maybe you think that you've turned a corner and I think there's a reason a lot of these guys are professionals. They don't, they don't settle for average. They're not going to just because you win a few games, they're not going to be, Oh, we're scared of the, the white caps defense. And it, it, that's the thing when your average age of your backline is like 23 years old and it's a good back four. I don't think it's i I'm not going to look and be like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not no longer confident in this back four because of one result, but 
I think it's definitely a mix of LAFC being good, but also there were some complacency issues. I mean, the white caps were, again, they just seemed too soft in midfield, which considering they had Michael Baldissimo and Janio Bacal, you would have thought that would be the last of their problems. And it just, they were overmatched and overran. And frankly, I just look at the goals and it was just too much ball watching. Like it was just frustrating to watch because you're sitting there as watching the game and for example Bradley Wright Phillips how is a guy who scored 100 freaking goals in MLS getting open in the box time after time again just unleashing a volley and a bicycle kick probably could have had a hat trick but Ranko Veselinovic decided to score an own goal to spare to spare himself and it was, uh, it was a quality finish great great finish but why is a guy with a, that much of a pedigree just chilling in the box I mean Diego Rossi on the fifth goal just the white caps like the right side just forgot that Diego Rossi, of which I may remind you, he, he, he leads the MLS in goals this year, just to, sc- to walk in and score. And then the first goal that, I mean, when you have Theo Bear and Lucas Cavallini on the pitch, I don't know why you're zonal marking when Dejan Jakovic is allowed to climb over a, basically a five foot 10 fullback at the back post as a hulking center. But it was just little, little details, little details. And we talk about details a lot and defending it. It's frustrating. It's probably the one that frustrates me the most because offense, yeah, we can talk a lot about the offense. And, I mean, it's almost forgotten that the Whitecaps break their four-game scoring streak with this, with this shutout that lost. But it's just frustrating because when you defend as bad as you do from the front foot, you give your offense no chance and you're not going to win any games. And it's frustrating because there's little details that just lead to catastrophic breakdowns. Okay, your fullback forgets to close down the cross. All of a sudden, it bundles around and it's in the back of the net. Or your midfielder fail, fails to get his foot in. And I just think of that goal or, or this chance in the 20th minute, 4 nothing. Mark Anthony K gets the ball at the top of the box. Like the least threatening position you'd think with four white caps on. And he drops three of them and gets a shot off the post. And it's just like, what are you guys doing? Like, at least, like, I know it's 4 nothing. You think the game's lost. But stick your foot in there. Die. Like, just tried it oh it was just I don't know it, there's just so much wrong with the, the defending I, it's almost hard to know where to where to pinpoint but I, I think it ultimately comes down to just little details and that's what what hurt the team tonight well yeah you you bring up so many good points uh and, and the first one I'll just get off my chest is stop zonal marking like full stop I mean we see this in the Premier League we see this in Champions League we see this Everywhere you need a special system world football, it. unless it is drilled in like beyond a shadow of a doubt, don't do it because it usually leads to absolute disaster. And but beyond even that, I think Andy Rose, who you know, we've talked about this before, he's en route to becoming a, a very good head coach at some point. And I think that his remarks post match, even in a situation like tonight, are always astute. He talked about the space between lines and how the Whitecaps didn't close that down. And that's, that was it's in been essence, an issue all year. It's been, and, and when their play has dropped off, that's often been like the first marker of why are we failing? This is why. And it was just so obvious on so many occasions. And then when you, as you said, when you sit that deep, a guy like Mark Anthony K can like catch you flat footed or just walk around you because you're so stagnant defensively. And, uh, and yeah, and even just Christian Gutierrez and Jake Norwinski, like getting lost in space. That was the thing 
prior to this season that Jake Norwinski struggled with and that he'd done so well so far this year. But you see when the, when the Whitecaps aren't engaged as a team, they're not bringing their lines up, they're not dynamic, guys like Jake get lost and all of a sudden there's tons of space on the right. Or, you know, Gutierrez goes on a run and doesn't track back. No one covers for him. And all of a sudden there's acres of space, you know, like it just, it just piled and piled and piled up. And yeah, as, as Mark DeSanto said, I mean, you know, once you, once you concede two or three, you could tell the white caps are just spinning their tires in the sand. And it's like the hole was getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And there was a certain point where they weren't going to dig themselves out of it, but but the other thing I wanted to note, and it kind of talks to your final point, which was guys not getting stuck in or not even, not even trying at times. And I think one of the biggest damning stats in that regard is you're, you know, you're losing a match from very early on 4-0. And do you want to know, well, I'm sure you can probably guess because we didn't watch the match that long ago. How many yellow cards were handed out in the match, the Vancouver Whitecaps? To the Whitecaps, zero. One. Actually, Michael Michael one, Ball, one, Ball, picked one up. Yeah. But one yellow card, like if I'm Mark DeSantos, I would need like five or six. And to be honest, like Just don't get a red. Just don't get a red. Well, but even like if a guy gets sent off in the 80th because he's trying to get stuck in and actually do his job defensively, I think that's better than not being engaged. Well, to give at credit, all. Luke's Cavalini is getting stuck in. I mean, I, good on him for that. And I maybe he doesn't need any yellow, so I'm not gonna look at him and be okay, you're good for standing out of the book. But I think other guys, I mean, aside from Freddie Montero and Jake Norwinsky, was anyone really getting stuck in and showing any sort of intent getting into those tackles? And you don't want to tackle someone and hurt someone just for the sake of doing that, but you want to kind of show that you still care and you're still pushing. And even though if you're not going to win, go get a morale-boosting goal or go just do anything to rescue the game. And that is kind of frustrating. And maybe, yes, fatigue is an issue because – as much as Mark DeSantos drilled out in the, the presser after the game that he doesn't want to talk about it, to give his team a bit of credit, traveling at eight or waking up at 8 a.m., traveling to L.A., spending the day in L.A., like they, it's not an ideal schedule for, for full high-performance athletes. On top of that, this one maybe is a, more, a bit more of his fault, not rotating your squad much from the last game, at least not rotating the right areas. Because I don't know how you take out Freddie Montero, for example. Tactically, it made sense putting on four defensively competent attackers. Maybe I, could, I understood the decision process there. But why not make some changes to your back four? Just not that they've been bad, but like in fact, they've been great. But at the same time, they're young, for example. They've, they've been working especially hard defensively because the Whitecaps do give up a lot of possession. Why not throw in an error at Godoy to start? I mean, Jasser Kamiri's injured, so you don't want to. Obviously, he's not available, but maybe this is a good chance to lean back to an Eric Godoy or an Andy Rose. Or why is Ali Adnan on the bench? Put him in instead of Gutierrez, who looked pretty tired, to be honest, too, because he probably hasn't played it much in a while. Or even just rotate the back line. I mean, bringing in Baldissimo is good. Bakel didn't play much. Midfield is fine. Yeah, just maybe rotate Milinkovic because I was really surprised after him coming off borderline injured. DeSantos said he had a knock for him to start. He looked tired. I'm, I'm honestly he should have came off in the 20th minute instead of Bear. I think Bear was unfairly sacrificed when he was probably one of the bright spots and was on pace to be the man of the match before getting taken off. And it's just yeah, you can't not rotate knowing this absolute. 
terrible schedule you have. And the Whitecaps, to give them credit, they're a pretty darn deep team considering at least what we're used to. Like, rotation-wise, they might not have some of the top-end talent they need, but they can rotate their squad and be fine. There's not many teams that can rotate. Okay, I'll take out Ranko Veselinovic, put Eric Godoy, they'll be fine. I'll take out Gutierrez, they have a DP left back in Ali Adnan. And maybe there's maybe the one change I could have seen, and I don't. you don't want the Whitecaps to switch formations too much, but you do wonder if playing Owusu, Bikel, and Baldissimo from the start just against this LAFC midfield. Because at the same time, I want the 4-2-3-1 to build, and I don't think it was the problem tonight. But at the same time, Considering how well DeSantos knows LAFC, considering he worked there, I'm just surprised that 4-3-3 change came in the 20th minute. I'm surprised, okay, why didn't he try starting it maybe just to kind of tack? And 4-3-3, are similar formations. You could have even put a Wusu at the 10. I'm, you know, finger-wagging here as a, as a 10, and he could be playing as an 8, just to, tactically knowing that. And maybe that also played a role, but... I guess it's just a bunch of little things. It was just really a game of little things that added up to make one big disaster. And, and you brought up the next point I wanted to discuss, which was the original lineup decision and then also the substitutes that happened throughout the match. So kind of Mark Dos Santos's touch on the match. And yeah, I think first and foremost, two, two things that really stood out to me, and these are the two most obvious ones, but I also think important ones are, you know, first of all, leaving out Freddie Montero. This is a guy who hasn't played in a year. And so I think that he's probably rearing to go. And unless there was some kind of little knock or issue we didn't know about, there's no reason that he couldn't have played three matches consecutively. And when this is a guy that's, you know, been creating all the offense for your team in the last couple of matches, there's, there's no reason to leave him out in such an important match. I guess you maybe you want him for, for Sunday in Portland, but at the same time, I don't think you can be resting players, you know, for future matches at this point in the year. And then secondarily, as much as we've kind of ragged on Ali Adnan a little bit lately, I think this is the kind of match, at least going into it, obviously with the result now, you might look at it differently, but a guy like Ali Adnan, he can be a game changer in a match where you're not the better team and he can make one great run, have one great shot, one great pass and really alter the match. And I think with a guy like Gutierrez, a little bit tired already and and a guy that's young and, you know, is going to struggle to find consistency a bit from time to time, especially against a squad of a higher quality like LAFC. Maybe it was a time to get Ali Adnan back into the fold. And I mean, that's very much, revisionist history but yeah before we talk about subs because i do i do want to talk about that too i I think those are two guys though that if either one of them had played it doesn't doesn't have to be both it just it could have had that little bit of you know veteran impact because lucas cavallini as much as he's a leader up front he's still trying to find his own form and so i think someone who's got that layer of experience in mls out there and and can be a game changer might have helped yeah, it's tough. I don't want to play the revisionist here and be like, oh, told you so. Because to be honest, I, I supported the lineup for the most part. Well, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not saying told you yeah, so. No, no, it's no. more of just a, an exercise in what could have gone differently. Yeah, if anything, it's just you want to learn from these games. And for me, one thing I think I've learned is if the – because this schedule is awful. Like, I don't think it, you can look at it. Yeah. The schedule is terrible. They play – what, that was their 13th game? They have 10 games to go. And it's over the – next month they're going to play a month and, and 
five weeks, they're going to have to play 10 games, which it's going to be busy. It's, it's every, I think the average they said it was every 3.1 or four days that MLS teams play on average of every, like every, I mean, it's, it's weekend, or, weekend, midweek, weekend, weekend for a while with, back and forth. And, and there's some weeks where there's no midweek, like, yay, like normal, normal. I guess, you know, it's it's like the summer sometimes when there's a Canadian championship in MLS, but like just completely on steroids. And if anything, I, what I learned in these last 10 games is, A, rotate your squad. Is I, I, I understand for, for DeSantos, Mark DeSantos, it's hard because for him, he, he hasn't had continuity with his lineup. For injuries, form, just the schedule, like MLS is back, having a three-week break after that. And obviously after beating the Galaxy, they got, have a five-month break. You know, it, you get that he wants to try to build some continuity. But at the same time, when you're playing every three days, you just have to maybe not, not throw the towel in, but just rotate your squad. And the Whitecaps are deep enough to handle that. That's the thing. I think that's lesson one learned. Rotate your squad. You have quality players in, their squ- in your squad. You look at the bench today. You look Ali Adnan on the bench, first of all. Freddie Montero on the bench. You got Eric Godoy on the bench. Heck, Ryan Raposo, we haven't seen that guy in forever on the bench. You got Leonard Owusu on the bench. That's a lot of solid pieces. Andy Rose on the bench. Toussaint Ricketts. And that's discounting guys like Yasser Kamiri and Russell Tybert, who are both unfit to, to make the squad, who are also solid options on the bench or starting. You're going to have to start rotating your squad, especially if there's the midweek games. I get it if there's a six or seven day break or in certain circumstances, but the Whitecaps schedule, if you look at it, it was they played today, Wednesday, they played Saturday, they played the Wednesday before, and then they played the Sunday before that. That's four days and essentially, let me do some rudimentary math, eight days? No, no, that can't be right. Is it actually? No, four, four, in 10 days, 10, 10 or 11 days. That's very tight. That, 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 there's not many players when you're at the demanding professional level. So I think lesson number one, I think that's the one I'm taking away. Rotate your squad. And tactically, I think maybe just don't be afraid to match up. Like this, I get it. I want the Whitecaps to build the 4-2-3-1. But against LAFC, you have to know that in the midfield, you're going to get overrun. So maybe put in an extra body at Le- like a Leonard Owusu. Again, like I say, like as the 10, always playing the 10, but he's playing an eight. And that'll be good to note against Portland, for example, where Portland, yes, they got Valeri, but Blanco blew out his ACL. They're not as strong in midfield. You can get away with the 4-2-3-1 because with Portland, you have to watch out for their wide threats. But say when they play LAFC again in the future, or if they play Seattle as a strong midfield, okay, maybe putting a third man in midfield isn't the what the worst idea, but it's, it's hard to look at the lineups and that, and that's all revisionist history, but I just think it's a valuable lesson. And if you're going to take a loss like this, I think the most important thing is, because as we said, it's only three points lost despite the absolute spanking. Just make sure you learn from it. And uh, shout out to our guys at the 90-plus uh, podcast, because I know they've been kind of riding for the Owusu in a, in a 4-3-3 for a while. So definitely some, some inspo from those guys there uh and yeah i guess that kind of brings me to the subs alex because i'm I'm curious for your thoughts if you if you didn't like my comments about montero and adnan you're probably going to dislike this even more but i i was very disappointed with how negative the substitutes were for the white caps 
I mean, first of all, you take off Theo Bear, who was, you know, as, was, you, was as you so said, argu- arguably your best player on the night up until that point. But really, even beyond that, like, okay, if you if you excuse that substitution away, the fact that you know at halftime you bring on Andy Rose and Eric Godoy, and you know, especially and and kind of go back to that back five. Like, I just don't understand what the you know, what the payoff is from, from an Andy Rose in a match like this. I mean, I understand that you're trying to stop the bleeding, but at the same time, it's like, I feel like you got to have the mentality that let's create something and attack if we want to stop LAFC from scoring on us rather than, you know, bunker in and just hope for the best. And I think really to a certain extent, LAFC exercised a a degree of pity in the second half because it didn't look like they were, going full guns a blazing. And I mean, I know that, you know, goal difference does count and LAFC is looking for everything they can in the table, but it did feel like there was a bit of a foot off the gas taken. And I think the thing that maybe annoyed me the most was the unused subs or the fact that Patrick Metcalf was the last guy to come on for the white caps, because that was my immediate thought about 30 minutes in was okay. This is the opportunity. Now it's, it's zero consequence get Patrick Metcalf a good run of minutes. And yes, he did come on and he got his feet wet a little bit, but I would have loved to see him come in sooner. And then also play Ryan Raposo. Just well, to throw that that's, in. this is what I was about to get to, which is two guys who did not play, who absolutely emphatically 100% should have seen the field. Ryan Raposo, because where on earth has he been recently? Just completely lost in the team. And I mean, I understand that some of his performances most recently weren't necessarily outstanding, but especially in a match like this, if it's the 55th minute, you're just looking for something different. You're looking for some fresh legs. He's probably not a guy you want to play in Portland. So give him a run here. And then to St. Ricketts, I can't think of a better player to put in, in a blowout game. Like as a striker, when you're already being blown out to St. Ricketts is like the ideal player. He's going to run his absolute bag off. If there's any dirty, scrappy goals to be had, he's going to convert on those. He's going to press. He's going to come back defensively. He's going to do all those things you want. So why does a guy like that sit out in a match like this and you add in another center back instead? It just, I don't know. It's like, confusing decision upon confusing decision there and I understand that I guess Mark Dos Santos viewed the match in a different way which is okay this is this is already over let's just please make it stop but I think that you have to (laughs) you have to think a little more positively in terms of how do we stop LAFC from terrorizing us maybe we need a little more of the ball maybe we need to create something and get LAFC to sit back a little bit and it's just especially Raposo and Ricketts I just don't understand why those two guys weren't used and yeah maybe it's just at this point you kind of pick your battles and honestly like if you're gonna bring on Rose and Godoy as he did I almost wouldn't have been mad at seeing Derek Cornelius and Ranko Veselinovic taken out Ranko Veselinovic was taken out but Honestly, rotate your center backs and rest them because that, that would have, have been fine I just uh, yeah I didn't, I, yeah. I didn't enjoy the negative and, formation change yeah, like keep your formation, sub out your center backs, give them a rest. Honestly, you could have set up your fullbacks. Bring on a Ryan Raposo, bring on Patrick Metcalf. Just 
at that point, just give them a chance to test themselves. I mean, boy, is there a better chance for a team, if you're Patrick Metcalf, to test yourself against than Mark Anthony K? It's it's free practice against a pretty quality, like one of the best midfields in MLS. It's it was inconsequential time, and you just like to see a little more positivity with the subs. It's just in the, in the game. Obviously, negative subs can always be. As someone who's podcast we're called the third sub. We know the value of pragmatic and effective and nullifying and just straight up, you know, just degenerate basically substitutions where you throw on a guy in the 93rd minute and his job is to go run around and get a yellow card, like all for that. But in a six, no game. Okay. Maybe you don't have to play. You don't have to go all, you know, football manager with the tactics at the the end. The way I view it, you can look at it as you can look at the six nil as a or four or five nil, whatever it was at the time when you make those subs, you can look at it as a curse or you can look at it as a blessing. And I think if you're Marcos Santos, you have to look at a four or five nil and go, okay, well, we've been waiting for an opportunity to give Patrick Metcalf some minutes. We don't have a Canadian championship this year to get him a full 90. Let's get him 45 55 60 60 minutes and give him a really good run here so that when he is called into action at some point he's ready and i just i don't know i'd like to see like a more proactive approach rather than oh no the match is already lost how can we be reactive here and that yeah that's exactly what the the subs i think that's kind of usually the issue and that's the issue we've had in the past yeah, I mean it's been a it's it's been a recurring thing with MDS that it it feels sometimes like his in-game adjustments are very are very tunnel vision focused. Like there's not a lot of greater footballing view put into it. It's more of how do we specifically respond to what's happening right now. And while I can appreciate that from time to time, I think there's there's moments where you want to take a bit of a step back and you know, no better time to take a step back than when you're when you're suffering a huge defeat, but I mean, credit to the credit to the white caps in the end that they didn't, they didn't ship the MLS record. They did set a couple of MLS records in terms of the, uh, the three nil and the four nil, I believe were both, or it was the four nil and the five nil that were both MLS records. Alex, do you chime in yes. there? Which, which one was it? That both somehow Th- both three, four and four, five, four and five, four and five. Okay. Someone can someone can fact check us if we're wrong about that. But regardless, set a couple of MLS records tonight in terms of uh, speediness of of shipping goals. But I guess that brings us to uh, well, since we're talking about subs, we might as well talk about the third sub of the match, and that was Freddie Montero, who was in his thirty three plus minutes of action. I hesitate to say the best player for the Whitecaps. I mean, it's certainly in that time, he continues to show. What he has to offer, Freddie's a guy that when you when you chat to him in media availability, he's very you know coy, and you remember how confident he is in his own abilities, and it's a it it, it it's a refreshing swagger. I mean, I think especially you you grow up in Canada and you listen to a lot of a lot of hockey players, and it's always you know get pucks deep, pucks on net. Oh my my team's just doing a great job. So to hear. Hear Freddie Montero say, you know, I'm a capable player and this is what I have to offer and and these sorts of things over the last week or so has been uh he always makes for good entertainment and uh yeah, a, a quality performance in this one, which is hard to say in, in such a lopsided match, but I think he found a way to 
carve out his little niche in this one, even though it was overall pretty limited. Yeah, it was tough for him. Tough for him to come in that situation. I think he handled himself well, and he's starting. If he's not starting on against Portland on Sunday, I, I'd burn it all down. I'd put I'd put some good money on him starting. I mean, first of all, I think that was the one stat thrown out there again by the our guy JJ Adams. Shout out to him as always in his story this week. He said that Freddie Montero has the chance to be the first Cascadia player to play the home to start. Well, he would be the first player to start a home game in Seattle, yeah. Portland, and Whitecap and Vancouver since obviously the which, Whitecaps which are the is home crazy. team. So he has to start on Sunday. That would just for that alone, let alone, and for the well, he's going to start one of the games, I'm sure. But he should just start after what he showed today, and he's rested. Clearly, he's got some. How do I? How even put it? He's got the guile, the intensity that some of the play, players around him were lacking at times today, and he's found that and consistently started to show it. And last year, maybe that was the complaint of him that he looked too passive. He looked asleep at the wheel. Well, you can't accuse him of that this year. So start him on Sunday and you either you play him as a 10 and you play Cavallini, you try to take advantage of the Timbers or you go, you play Montero up top and you put Cavallini on the bench because, you know, Cavallini was lively today, but he wasn't exactly lighting the, the world on fire with some of his chance creation and shot selection. So it's not going to be an easy decision, but for me, Freddie Montero, one word, I guess we'll go for the base. We'll, we'll go for the base. We'll keep it simple on a loss like that. Um, I guess I, I want to, I want to try to be, I'm trying to think of a synonym on the spot for more. Cause I don't want to just say more, but like, <laughs> like what do I want? Like a t- taste, like tease, like that's basically maybe tease a teaser. Cause that's my word. He's, he's given us a teaser. And I think when he starts, he's going to give us the full buffet as he's shown in late recent games. That's an interesting one. So, so my word for Freddie is, is timeless because I think he's kind of like that. I don't know. He's like that, that nice classy watch you have in your wardrobe. And it's like, it just goes with any outfit and it, you know, it's, it's reliable. It tells the time it, you know, it just kind of, it, 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 it lasts through the eras. It's, it, it's still, you know, it's still relevant. It's still stylish. And that's what I, I was reminded of in this match, like in a match that was so out of control and so completely had completely lost the plot. Freddie was still playing football. And I think that that was, that was impressive. And yeah, he's absolutely got to start for the, for that record alone, but also just because he's the white caps best player right now. Without a doubt. I don't think uh, form-wise, he's got to be Tim and Norwinski, I guess, right now, because Milinkovic was up there, but unfortunately that injury seemed to, to slow and he, him down. And... I would suspect, I'm not you know, casting too many aspersions here, but I don't know if he's going to be back at full fitness by this weekend either. I think maybe they should try bringing him off the bench unless he is feeling a lot better, but Raposo at the 10? Want... Raposo at the 10? Freddie Montero at the 10? Lerdewusu at the 10? We'd be open to all those options. All of those options. Boy, what else could you even throw out there? Like Simon Coline at the 10? Oh, my God. I think some heads would explode if that one happened. Hashtag free Simon Coline. I don't know. Is he he even on the trip, candidly? I don't know. I I don't know. Apparently, Jan Franco Facinieri somehow just appeared back out of the blue, yet we have no news on Simon Coline, so... 
maybe we <laughs> a whisper of a smoke, but again, as much as I'd like Simon Coline, I don't he's not he's not six foot four and he can't close down crosses and he's not he's not basically what I'm saying is he's not fixing what the what yeah, he's not the, the he's not the root of their problem, certainly. He's let's let's put it this way, he's not chiseled, he's not yeah, six foot four, he's not Italian, and there's not a Maldini on his back. So <laughs> Unfortunately, he cannot control those factors. But, I mean, again, yeah, defensively, I, you just look at it. It's not – it's a sum of the parts. The, part, the, the car broke down today. I'm gonna need, it's going to need an oil change. It's going to need four new tires. It's going to need a new seat. Uh, it's definitely the eject – yeah, put full, an oil change it, it's on gonna it. It's going to need the full works for sure. F- fix the injection cap or whatever it's called, the ejection cap and – Put it in a new home. Just fix everything. Put put new darn windows in. Just yeah, it wasn't it wasn't pretty. I think that's kind of if, the if there's one of thing that, that uh, third sub listeners know for sure, it's that Alex is not a huge car guy based on the metaphors. But uh, alas, we I, I'm more of a alas, bike guy if I'm being honest. But so okay, I have two final. I think that kind of unless yeah, in, unless mean, I'm confused by your car metaphor, I think that pretty much brings an end to the match discussion we have, but I have two final things that I want to bring up that are kind of, I guess, more on like the, the banterous or sideshow point that, that accompany the match. And the first one is the play by play slash color commentary on TSN tonight. And uh, I guess where I, I kind of want to start it is, are Peter Shad and Bob Bradley like best friends or something? Because I don't think I'd ever heard a play-by-play commentator talk so much about where Bob Bradley had coached and, Oh, what a, what a cool experience it was when he was coaching this national team and Oh, how, you know, people in Swansea were so mean to him and just all these irrelevant anecdotes. And I mean, I understand that it was, it was a five, six nil and you're looking for, for time to fill space, but I would have appreciated a little more talk about, you know, the white caps or subs that came on the field rather than hearing Bob Bradley's resume two, three, four, five, six times over. So I don't know, Alex, if that stood out to you and if you have any, any thoughts in that regard. Also, they keep Peter Shad and Paul Dolan keep talking about Leonard Owusu as if he is a out and out six oh, Owusu's coming on. That's a really defensive substitution. <laughs> Someone needs to go to training or, I mean, I guess they can't go to training right now, but the narrative <laughs> needs to change there because Owusu is not a destroy and regress six. So let's just, <laughs> let's just cut that out right there. But yeah, Alex, your thoughts on, on those couple notes. I didn't have the audio on today, so I was Fair enough. The, can't blame the Bob you. Bradley fan show. The almighty bless the... The, thy traveler of the seven seas, or I guess in his case, like two seas, I guess, since he went to Europe and came back. Or didn't he coach the Egyptian national team? That's so, so Shad was waxing poetic about the, the experiences brought Bob Bradley had in Egypt. Yeah, like coaching. cultural stuff. And it was just, it was super random. Like, I, yeah, I, I lost the plot at certain points for sure. I mean, credit to, to, to Peter Shad. I don't think calling a six nil game when the team's down, the team you're calling it's, is it's five an unenviable down. position. Like, I mean, I've, I've commentated basketball games where, you know, but one team's up by 35, like early in the second half. And you're just sitting there going like, Oh God, what am I going to talk about? This is terrible. But at the same time, like it's your job to, 
I understand, and I would understand it more if it was a a national broadcast or like kind of a, a neutral broadcast. But when you're the Whitecaps broadcast talk provider, about Whitecaps interest talk about stories, little stories, you know, of guys coming off the bench. Hey, let's let's talk a little bit about you know what Freddie's been up to recently, and and, and just dive. I don't know, dive into some behind the yeah, scenes. Talk stories. about how Freddie Montero is having to have, a pumpkin spice latte at the talk at about set. his co- talk about his coffee shop. But I mean, these guys are supposed to have access to the coffee. team. They're supposed to be plugged in. Like people are not listening or watching on TSN for random Bob Bradley anecdotes. I mean, one or two is fine, but it just. It was a little bit frustrating, and then at the end of the match, it seemed like Shad and Dolan were almost—they were almost cheering for the for the MLS record. It kept kind of saying, "Oh, well, you know, they've only got ten more minutes to try to set the record." And it was it was pretty comical. And I have to—I mean, I have to admit, for the for the memes, it kind of would have been funny if the Whitecaps had taken that record. But but at the end of the day, I'm pretty glad that they didn't. Yeah, and I guess the last thing because I didn't touch on it, Awusu. Everyone, do your research. Uh, just because he played in the Ghanaian second division, there's people out there. I mean, maybe I'm lucky that I happen to know someone in the Ghanaian footballing scene that was very kind enough to help me. But I'm sure if you uh, if you make the big bucks for a professional, you can. Uh, you've got the resources, uh, the experts able to able to help you out in that regard. So don't be lazy. Well, I mean, all you have to do, shout out to Manuel Veth. All you have to do is go on Transfer Market and look at the chart they have of where a player has played, how many matches at that position. That's literally all you have to do. Okay, so the second thing I wanted to bring up right before we end and uh, was, and I'm sure most listeners to this podcast will be following this account already. It's the Whitecaps Twitter account. Who was at the reins of that account tonight? Because there were there were two tweets in particular that really stood out to me, and uh, one of them was one of them was just after the match, and that was in response to an LAFC tweet. So LAFC, when they went up six nil, tweeted out touchdown, and the Whitecaps, in response, in addition to their little post match graphic with the score in full time, said "miss the convert suckers." So that they had that one, and then earlier on, when the M- FIFA one, I think I think a couple were deleted as well, which is interesting. Did you catch the F- the FIFA one? Got me when after the four nil, they're like or three notes like you've been disconnected from here yeah like, <laughs> yeah the they've, used, they've used that one a couple times which is you know not a good sign when your your team has to use that but then there was also the one mls communications tweets oh, yeah. that, like, that the four goals in the opening 14 minutes was a was the fastest start in mls history and they just quote retweet that with shut up which i don't know i think someone at someone like whether it's Tom Plasteris or, or the ownership or someone is like, I don't know if the, I understand that the, now I'll give full credit to most of the time, the Whitecaps social media team is relatively undefeated. And it's actually one of the really good things about following the Whitecaps and kind of being part of the media circle is their, their team has really stepped it up in the last year or two. But uh, I think there were a couple tweets tonight that it was just like, Ooh, kind of not the best timing like there's there's some moments where you just kind of want to be silent and go away and and when you're losing five six nil that's probably probably a good time to shut her down just a little bit i mean i thought it was funny honestly i'm all for it i thought it was 
I thought it was pretty hilarious. At least it gives you something to talk about other than the match on a, on a night where that's probably a good thing. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, you, when you're getting spanked 6-0, like, the poor admins got to deal with all these infuriated people in their mentions, just like trade, trade the players. Like what's, what's, what's the guy behind the Twitter account going to do for you? And he's not going to go, Hey Mark, trade a player. Mark's just going to be like, okay. Like, well, that was, so one thing that I guess just as a final uh, Twitter banter point, one, one tweet that I put up earlier in the night was when the white caps went down two nil in the fifth minute, they put up a, an Oh dear tweet. And one minute into that tweet being up, there were 12 comments and two likes on the post, which is oh. just a, a big oof. Now, the, the ratio did get a little bit better as time went on. But yeah, you have to feel for the social media guys when that's the kind of response you're getting. You know, you're getting sell the team. And I'm sure the, the guy on Twitter is going, okay, yeah, I'll get right on that. I'll sell the team for you. So uh, I understand the frustration. But yeah, it was just, I don't know. I thought it was... It was a bit over the norm, so it was something worth bringing up. Yeah, that's a frustrating, frustrating gig, frustrating game. I mean, social media, the best thing when your team's winning, but when your team's getting spanked, it's, a, it's an art. But I well, guess on I that know, note. Though, it, keeps, it, it keeps it entertaining. Like a, at, some, at some point, social media has been the only thing that's uh, – and Whitecaps Twitter specifically has been the only thing that's kept me sane over the last couple of years because – and it's interesting uh, – we have like an 86 forever, our writers, we have a group chat and one of our guys, Caleb pointed out that imagine, and it was actually specifically in reference to LAFC, like imagine what it would be like to cover a, a winning team, a team that has success. Oh, I think that, that all the time, a team that, you know, win after win after win supporters shield, you know, making it to, oh, no, we lost to the eventual MLS Cup champions. Like, life is terrible, whereas, you know, the Whitecaps languishing down in second-last position in the Western Conference. I mean, I think sometimes, and maybe this is more applicable to other sports and, like, bigger media markets, so say, for example, like the Canucks, but I think sometimes fans or even sometimes players and people within coaching staffs think that the media wants – teams to be terrible when in reality it's no. actually quite the opposite i think everyone you want to cover and everyone it's more fun and it's it makes for better stories to cover a winner and to cover success stories i mean people want people want to get better interviews people better want adversity but you want stories of overcoming adversity not succumbing to adversity and so i think it's it's a delicate balance sometimes where you know you have to be critical when things are going poorly but that doesn't mean that that doesn't mean that you want things to go poorly and so you know i i mean i was singing a lot of praises on the last podcast about how i thought that you know there were there were some good white caps news stories to talk about and some good roster problems and I'm not going to change my perspective on that. Like, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you lose three points. Is it a bit of an embarrassment? Sure. But all you can do is you can take your bags and, you know, ship them back to Portland and get stuck into some training, get ready for Portland and, and, and do the best you can. And you still, you won three of the last four matches going into this one. So, forget about it, develop a little bit of amnesia, just skip over this match and see what you can get out of Portland. I think still, you know, if the Whitecaps can 
get themselves a greasy 1-1 or 2-2 draw in their quasi-home match this weekend, and this little road trip is a success. So I think you just got to look at it that way. And as, as much as we've ripped into a lot of things about the Whitecaps tonight, I'm actually probably not as dismayed by this result as maybe people think. And overall, it's, it's one of those ones where you just got to, you know, you just got to kind of blink, forget it, and move on. Well, I was angry about the defending. I spilled my, some of my blood over on the defending, and I will continue to do if, it, if it's not good because I hate seeing bad defending. I've seen enough bad defending in my games. I don't want to see people get paid to do it, do bad defending. That's a whole other story. But, yeah, I agree. It, you want it to be good. You want it to cover good stories. And there's some good storylines as long as they ultimately bounce back. Yes, it's frustrating that they lose twice to LAFC by this margin. And, you know, you talk about covering a good team. I mean, not not to not to have a pity party here, but, I, I mean, it's my my sophomore season if you're going to go by covering the, the team. And so far, I, I watched the Whitecaps finish the last in the Western Conference and lose to Calvary in the Voyagers Cup in this year. Well, I think you guys all know what's up this year. So maybe I'm the... Maybe I'm the, the rookie on the, the bad team that just got drafted to a bad team and just isn't doing anything. And maybe it would be nice to be the, the I don't know, the, I'm trying to think, you know, the, the guy who gets drafted to the, the big team club and he has a good time. But it's it's always fun. It's it's always fun watching the Whitecaps and even win or lose, at least to give them one thing, they're entertaining. So maybe sometimes for the wrong reasons, but it is what it is. I think on that note, though, yeah, that, Twitter, that pretty check much... me out, Alex Gungi Ruzik. <laughs> BTS Fan City, btsfancity.com. Short plug, that's it. Good night. <laughs> yeah, I think Alex has had enough here. That, that pretty much brings an end to the third sub. I, I hope you've enjoyed just kind of marinating on this one and, and, you know, having some positive thoughts, having some negative thoughts, just trying to kind of look at it from all angles and... We're going to be back with more. Uh, we're lining up a guest for our CPL recap podcast, which we're pretty excited about. Uh, we're going to try to do some stuff in advance of Portland. Obviously, we'll both be covering that match in written form as well. And yeah, that's pretty much it. You can find me at Samuel underscore rowboat on Twitter at 86forever.com. We've already got a post match out for this one. By tomorrow, we'll have a report card up as well. So if you want to check out the grades which i'm sure will be pretty low you can certainly go do that and comment with some thoughts of your own and uh thank you for listening thank you for you know bearing that match if you watched all 90 minutes and we'll be back again soon <laughs>